We're your health and safety angels, Daisy Silcock and Lindsay Mason. Health and safety, busting the barriers. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Health and Safety Angels with me, Daisy, and with me, Lindsay Mason. <laughs> Did you forget your name then? <laughs> No, but I didn't. It's the same thing that happened last time. I didn't know if you were going to introduce me or if I have to introduce myself. Should plan for this stuff. But we actually have a wonderful third person here with us today. That's Mary. Hey, Mary. This is Mary Lawrence, everybody. Hi. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. I was sort of just waiting and wondering when I when I should introduce myself. But hello. Hello. So um, it's difficult with us. No one ever knows what we're doing. There weren't very clear rules. I'm a rule follower. No, and also we just end up talking over each other all the time, don't we, Lynn, normally? So there's three of us to do that today instead. So let me tell you um, who Mary is. So uh, Mary is a health and safety lawyer and partner um, at a firm, Osborne Clark, and she's here today to talk to us about some bits and pieces. Well, we've got various questions, haven't we, Lynn, really? but focusing on some of the sections of the Health and Safety at Work Act that actually relate to prosecution and the the sort of what happens after that process and the offences that have taken place. So we're predominantly focusing on section 37 of the Health and Safety at Work Act. Have Have I done that right? Sounds good to me. Well, you know I'm the one to read it because I really struggle. Yeah, do you want to read it? So, um, section 37, a section like the other sections we've discussed before, so a completely different topic. Um, And this is called Offences by Bodies Corporate. So, subsection 1, where an offence under any of the relevant statutory provisions committed by a body corporate is proved to have been committed with the consent or connivance of, breathe, or to have been attributable to any neglect of come on people are going to have to look at this on the screen because it's just it's too much to read just give up there it's a confusing one too because the actual the whole title of it well we can get into that the title doesn't really suggest what it's actually about i don't think this is you are justifiably confused what does the title say what so the title the title the title says offenses by bodies corporate by bodies corporate basically means by a company or a, an organization or you know um similar uh and actually this whole section's about individual directors and senior managers really so it's it's slightly misleading i think we can go and look at this at legislation.gov.uk but why don't we get mary to tell us in nice easy language what is 37 saying yeah okay so basically um, I think you've you've covered all the earlier sections before. No doubt people are listening have have like listened and, and will be referencing those numbers. Um, so if um, a company or an organisation has failed in their duties, so some of those early things that you looked at, like section two and section three, if there's a company failure, but the reason for the company failure or one of the reasons for the company failure is something that one of the senior managers or the directors did or should have done um, that led to that company failure, then that individual can be prosecuted under this. 
Does that make any does that make any sense? Yeah, however, a company can't make a failing. A person has to make a failing because a company is just a created entity, isn't it? So well true, but the way in which um the law works here is that um as you know the duty of the company or the organization is it has to ensure that it's people and others who might be affected by it so um you know someone visiting your shop or a contractor working your site you have to make sure that they are kept safe so far as reasonably practicable and as you've probably kind of discussed before from a company perspective um that wording reasonably practicable is is quite broad it encompasses lots of lots of different things so yes i i most of the time it's not really about one individual is it so a company failure for instance could be because there was a whole chain of events which meant that the company could be said not to have looked after its people's safety basically i like that that makes sense that's good so um what we're seeing here would be that a company would be potentially going through a prosecution under sort of section two or section three or something like that. And then an individual manager, director, something like that, a senior person within the organization has then been picked out as saying, well, ultimately you did this and therefore it happened. Is that, is that how it works? It's probably earlier than that. So I don't know how much you've talked before about, um, how kind of investigations work. So it tends to be most often it's the um, health and safety executive who are the people who will respond and investigate, um, say, a, say an accident in the workplace. It can be other things, but say it's an accident, it's the most obvious one. Um, what they do is keep quite an open mind when they're investigating what's happened. And in doing so, they will therefore not just be thinking about the company they'll also be thinking about the actions or the inactions of in this case uh, directors so they'll be thinking about it all the way and if, if the evidence then starts to suggest oh hang on a second I don't think this is just the company or maybe you know we, we actually think the main um, failure here is by an individual then they'll start looking at section 37 and they need to think about it quite early on to be honest so that they don't get themselves into difficulties with um, not giving people a caution, you know, like okay. the TV with a police station caution. And so, for example, if a director had been sent an email saying, oh, by the way, this machine needs a guard on it, we need to buy a guard, and the director ignored the email or just went, no, we're not buying one, that would then potentially put put sort of, then the HSE to think that this could be a th something involving 37. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm finding at the moment company directors are getting increasingly worried about not just in the health and safety world, but they're being worried generally about, you know, what do we have to do as company directors and what happens if we don't do it? Um, to be investigated and definitely to be prosecuted, which is, um, you know, the ultimate worst case scenario, it has to be pretty serious, I would say, that failure. So your example is probably a good one um, if they wrote back and said, I'm not paying for that. Um, mm -hmm. 
if they, you know, if... And then someone got their hand chopped off or something. Yeah, exactly. If if there was a good logical reason why they might not have got that email or it might have got lost or it went to the wrong email address, you know, I think I think that's, you're not in Section 37 territory. So... Um, oh, like, it, that's a classic though, isn't it? I sent the, oh, I didn't get well, the email. Everyone knows if you send an email and it goes spelt correctly, it's landed. True. Whether someone's looked at it or not, cheeky monkey. True, they'll look about, they'll, they'll look at it in the round. I mean, the the most of it. That's a good example you've given. Other examples that I would give if I was trying to explain this might be, um, so finance director. Yeah, anyone in control of money who's saying I'm not spending the money on that safety measure. Um, I think you just need to be able to justify that properly, um, because that's, you know, that's that that looks like it could be cutting corners on co- uh, on safety. Um, well, I I do say to people if they're carrying out a risk assessment because a lot of the time people without authority are asked to do risk assessments, yeah. so they'll do a risk assessment, recognise that there's a guard missing as an example, a barrier missing. They then say a good control measure we believe is going to be install the guard, install the barrier, but then someone else has to authorise that. So I will say if you think that something would be a reasonably practicable control measure based on your knowledge and information and you send a message to a director saying, I've recognised this gap, could we please have a guard, and they say no, then they need to put that in writing. Yeah, and a guard, um, a guard's a really good example because probably by law you have to have the guard anyway. So that's even, you know, it's 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 probably not just a good idea, it's probably a legal requirement. There are other... Under like pure or whatever provision and use of work equipment regulations yeah exactly um another one that we used to talk about quite a lot was things like and and to be honest the tech technology has probably moved on is if you're working on a roof with fragile roof lights um not just relying on safety harnesses but Mm. maybe having a safety net and that's i think all because of the technology isn't it about you know what's going to protect you from injury the best um but it, there, there's lots of examples like that um another one might be um uh, an operations manager or operations director who knows that there are some unsafe working practices going on people cutting corners and they've ignored it and i guess this is getting into these those, that those words consent connivance and neglect which we can get into um yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask about those three actually. Um, so, consent. I'm assuming that's you know you know what's going on, and and in fact you said yes, let's do it that way, and it's obviously turned out to be the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So the email that says, by the way, I reckon we can really speed up production on the line if we take off all the guards. You're right with this. Yes, I mean that would be a really obvious and hopefully implausible um, consent scenario. Mm. And so the other one is connivance. Yeah, connivance. So that's, that's a bit sneaky sounding. Yeah, it, it generally um, is like condoned practice, turning a blind eye, that kind of thing. So, mm. you know, that ops, ops director example I gave. So from your perspective then, as a health and safety lawyer, yeah. I mean, what kind of... if, if at what point would you be presented with something like this? Would this be almost the accidents happened and they're immediately picking up the telephone and going, Mary, we need your help? Well, um, in terms of in terms of directors uh, being at risk, yes. I'd say seven. Um, yeah. 
yes, it probably would be early on. You you get a flavour early on, probably, about whether you've got individuals at risk of being investigated as well as companies. Most commonly, um, we'll have someone pick up the phone if there's been a really serious accident or incident, um, most serious being a fatality. Um, mm. And in those scenarios we will always be thinking about all the options early on. So I tend to get the phone call on behalf of the company. So the company tends to get their act together and get a lawyer first. That's just the, the way it tends to work. But if I was then, if I early doors thought, mm, I think there's some directors or senior managers who are at risk here. And in the worst scenarios, I'd always think about that as a possibility. Then what I'll be thinking about is, I think we need to get them all their own lawyers um, because I can't represent the interests of all of them. There'll be a conflict. Um, so can it be in the same company or you'd have to have, they'd have to have a lawyer from a separate firm? Possibly they can be in the some, uh, same company, but often it will be separate firms. The problem is, is if you don't separate things out properly and then a conflict arises, you can't just say, oh, I'll just go with, I'll, I'll just act for this one of the two. You often have to step away from both of those, though both of those instructions, you can't act for either. So most of the time, lawyers will be a bit cautious. And actually, um, probably a lot of people listening, if they're business people and they're thinking, crikey, we can't afford all those lawyers, um, which is pretty much what everyone would say, um, it's worth knowing that there is um, insurance cover. If you've got um, directors and officers cover, which is often an add-on, you'll buy as well as your employer's liability and your public liability, which you'll buy for the company. Mm -hmm. That will kick in and start providing, uh, potentially providing uh, legal costs for lawyers. That is a really great bit of advice. That's a massive bit of... It's a good thing to know about. Yeah, it is. And do you think it's worth a company researching your kind of support before things go wrong yeah is it the kind of thing that something goes wrong and you open the yellow pages and go I want that one I think it depends who you are like what your risk level is so um definitely if you are a business which has got quite a lot of health and safety risk and maybe you've had some incidents before you've come under the spotlight um, then definitely I'd say get some of your planning in place, whether it's to do with lawyers, um, whether it's to do with just your kind of crisis plan, which will probably involve the lawyers as well, because they can really, we can really help kind of um, both help you set out what you need to do, but also protect um, a lot of the um, advice we give because you, you probably talked before or heard about legal privilege which is basically the lawyer client confidential relationship it's like a doctor patient we can't we can't disclose stuff unless you permit it so that means you can talk fairly openly about what's happened and not worry about someone else getting hold of that information that's quite helpful after an yeah, incident yeah so it's good to, to do a little bit of research find the right kind of company that you could go to if need be <clears throat> if you're going through insurers um they will also have their own book of lawyers um, and you know like anything some are better than others you get what you pay for so um, if you for instance buy your insurance through an insurance broker then talk about this scenario and say you know what would happen if and um, they will often have some 
lawyers they like to go to but you also actually do have a right to choose your own lawyers even if the insurers are paying for it they might not pay the same amount but there is a right there is a right for you to say i want to use mary osborne clark by way of an example um now they might not pay the same fees as i would charge but um they'll pay something um so yeah it's, it's a good thing i think to think about so coming back to the the points then these terms consent and connivance which we've already talked about so if somebody if if there is a possibility that this company director this senior person um you're already kind of engaged with them perhaps from a company perspective and then it's looking like perhaps this individual is going to end up being the focus of some of this investigation um if that's the case what sort of evidence would the HSC need to have to say, oh, you consented, you connived, or you were neglectful? What things from your experience would, would kind of constitute a, yeah, we're happy that there is clear evidence that this has been the case, you did something wrong, you turned a blind eye, um, and, and, and now we're going to come at you? What kind of things would the HSC potentially have, I guess, on this individual? I mean, it... it... <laughs> Is such a lawyer's answer but it is case by case it will depend mm-hmm. um they um they they would need to first of all demonstrate there'd been a failure on behalf of the company now that might be quite straightforward it may be a, a, you know, an easy thing for them to do but i have seen them fail on that um in terms of you as a director i think they would want to, or, or a senior manager they would probably want to explore what is your job and that that might be sort of set out in a job description. Most of the time, it's not. It, it might be saying, okay, you're a statutory director, so you're actually um, listed as a director on company's house mm-hmm. um, amongst, say, a number of others. Um, they would then be exploring probably by asking questions about who does what. Um, they would then kind of having sussed out, well, you know, w- what does your job involve? Or what should it have involved? They'll probably be exploring um, with others about like, did you do your job properly? Um, but I think to get to the point of them thinking it's section 37, they would really want to show that you really failed um, uh, in, in your role and that it's got, that they don't have to show that that, caused the accident that's not required but I, I do think it generally has to be quite serious so the, one of the most if you googled this and you were looking at section 37 prosecutions a lot of the time what you will find is quite small companies who've maybe got a director or two and they are what we call the controlling mind they're basically the business but they're just directors Mm -hmm. um those the those would be the easiest ones to prosecute for section 37 because of course if the company failed did the director not fail because so small that that must have happened what's much more difficult is the bigger you get the further obviously as a director you're getting away from possibly what happens on the ground with whatever your business activity is so then you get into that type of scenario you've just been talking about where you sort of say, well, hang on a second. Isn't their job all about, I don't know, as a finance director, giving, giving, uh, approving capex requests or giving money to the business to operate? And didn't they? So asking for a guard doesn't that seem like an appropriate request? And why did you ignore it? And then they mm. they would go into like, what did you do with that email? Why did you ignore it? You know, maybe there's a plausible reason, but um, there's not a 
black and white answer to that, but that's okay. sort of mood music, if you like. Mm -hmm. And um, can you give us any examples, obviously without any names or information or anything like that, can you give us any examples of uh, where you've been sort of defending someone uh, sort of that, that, that's been come at from this Section 37 perspective? Yeah, let me think. So often, <clears throat> if if somebody's died, then the other offence, which is linked to this, is manslaughter. So mm -hmm. um, you look at both those. Um, e yes, I have. Um, I think what's what's interesting, what's very difficult, though, is, is um, even though this looks like um, an investigation of a kind of workplace scenario. Of course, if they're investigating an individual yeah. and I'm acting for the individual, it's really personal, all, all mm. of this. It's like being investigated for any type of crime, really. So um, if somebody is found guilty, okay, um, and they, mm -hmm. whatever sort of sentence has been given, whether it's, you know, community service or, you know, prison time or whatever, um, do they they then effectively have a criminal record, don't they? I don't think I've come up on this issue on a 37, but I have had it on a manslaughter, a, a gross neg manslaughter, which is when you have when there's someone's died and they can connect your failure with the death. So it's kind of like the most serious tier of this type of failure. Um, but I've had a scenario there where my client was having difficulty because they wanted to travel to America and they were having to declare they were under an investigation. So I think you'd have to look at the wording. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it is serious because you get into all these things. You know, do you have to declare it when you're getting your household insurance? Um, and yes, it is a criminal record. Now, I, I suspect that say you're going for a job. Um, it's probably not company director at this point. Um, and you've got to declare that you've got a conviction. You can probably explain it. And depending on you know the type of job, they'll say, OK, that, that that's acceptable because it's it's not the time. It doesn't sit in the same bracket for people. Exactly. But let's face it, it's not a parking fine. You know, this stuff is, is really serious still. I, I won't I don't know if we'd mention it on. I won't say what it is, but weren't you training a group of people that thought, that it was actually ridiculous that it was, or that it wasn't criminal. Yeah, criminal was just like murder, robbery. But it's, that's exactly that, isn't it? It's criminal. But actually it does. It sits in the same category. It's probably maybe not viewed by everybody the same way. But for me, if you've blatantly ignored a very sensible request because you're being a bit greedy with money or you think it's going to take too much time out of people's schedule and you think product productivity is going to go down really it's the same thing if somebody gets hurt because of that it's probably um some people might put it in the bucket of like tax evasion or but but you're right it has um depending on the circumstances is to do with um and, and often i think for individuals it's to do with someone being seriously injured or having died it doesn't have to be but you must see the other side as well, which is the side that we wouldn't see, which is where you have somebody sat in front of you who knows that something they did or didn't do led to someone that they may have a personal relationship with being harmed. Yeah. 
because we don't see that side. We just go, well, they should have done their job and this is horrendous. And obviously there's a victim, but then technically they're equally going to be affected by this as well for the potentially the rest of their lives. Yeah. And most of the people that I have acted for in this scenario would have never expected to have been there. Um, there are people, I, I find it quite tricky sometimes because sometimes, depending on the facts, you think, you know, this could have been, this could have been one of my friends. It could have been, you know, one of my, one of my relatives um, for, for the fact, factual scenario, albeit making usually a very silly mistake. But it, it, it depends, it depends on what the scenario is. Um, it's a very emotional um, situation for them to be in. These investigations take a long time. So this hangs over people for a long time and it has an impact. And to be honest, most of the time, I think the impact of just being investigated is is such a punishment that there. Yes, the, the, the worst case scenario of what could happen if, if you were convicted is a question being asked. But the whole process is really, yeah, it's really, really tough. So, well, if you think about it, if someone is um, a career criminal as such, they're very used to the police, they're very used to that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Whereas if you're running a business, potentially could be very well off, maybe you're just a bit ignorant with health and safety, you find yourself in the same position as a career criminal. You're being yeah. prosecuted. You fi- you do. You find yourself in the... I mean, if, if it started off as a fatality and you're being investigated by the police, you start off in the police station. Oh, you know they can put you in custody now not on a 37 but the two the two go together so you're right it's um but so so sometimes if you look at it the other way sometimes people look at these um successful prosecutions these convictions and they they said this individual they only went to prison for nine months or they didn't go to prison at all they had a suspended sentence uh, as uh, you were saying daisy you know mm. that's just not serious enough but actually, I think when you pick it apart, often, I mean, that person, it's going to stick with that person um, because they they were not that career c- criminal. And this has had such an impact yeah. that that all of the, the measures of why in this country we prosecute and send uh, and, and um, convict people to deter people from doing it, to make sure it doesn't happen again and to punish are probably all met, even if the, the sentence isn't very long. Well, I'd, I say that on my courses that even four weeks in prison is going to change someone's life. It's going to affect your professional and personal standing, your family, your relationships with friends, everything. I mean, guess even your credit history is going to have some kind of hit. Yeah. So it is a massive impact. I'm not. I'm not being funny, but four minutes in prison would be enough for me. Thank you. Well, yeah, just the, just as being in being in a trial, being in a trial. Yeah. I mean being in those situations I mean so I guess if we wanted to help people understand you know is this something we really need to worry about then I'd say you know you need to take this seriously because it it is really bad when it happens Um, and it's very serious it will really impact you if we look at it the on the other hand I, I do get scenarios where people become so fearful of this they're like I do not want to be a director of this company or you know, you have to take health and safety. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And what I would say is you shouldn't look at it like that because it's not black and white. So say you've got health and safety in your title. You're the director with responsibility for health and safety. Oh, sorry. He's the 
director with responsibility for health and safety you are over here as the finance director you can still be looked at so that doesn't get you out of it so don't like don't get obsessed about that kind of detail um so there's a potentially a shared liability yeah they can look at anyone because they look at the facts really um i mean they're not going to look at the finance director if this was absolutely nothing about their job Mm. and it was all you know someone else's but um i think the main focus of this is just know that it this stuff is important if you're a director of a company um, and you should be thinking about all the duties you know about in terms of say handling of your money or doing the best thing for your shareholders or whatever health and safety is really important and um, you just need to build it into how you run your business Um, and if you do that and something goes wrong then you shouldn't really be worrying about I mean it's still going to be really difficult if your company was investigated but I don't think they'll look at you as a director if you've basically done your job properly. What happens about money as well? Because, I mean, it's no secret that it's expensive to go for, to a lawyer. Um, if you don't have that insurance you're talking about, yeah, do we have the same kind of cover that you're entitled to free legal support? For legal aid? No, um, you don't. Um, so you'd either be having to pay that. Uh, I, I don't think you can get legal I think you might be able to get legal aid for... Or say manslaughter if you were arrested or something like that but I think for health and safety offences you'd either have to pay it yourself or the company might make a decision that they were going to pay um, you know pay for representation wow. um, so it is yeah it's diff- so insurance is a good idea I think insurance is a good idea it's not always perfect but you'll get you have to have your employer's liability insurance so if you've got employees you have to have that you're probably going to have public liability insurance depending on what you do um and i suspect you'll be talking to an insurance broker and directors and officers will probably be a relatively small add-on what i would say is you know if you're worried about this type of stuff ask some questions um of your broker about like how does this all work let's say something happened would i immediately be able to get a lawyer would you know would it get paid for because all policies are slightly different but yeah I think it's sensible if you think I couldn't afford several hundred pounds an hour for a lawyer right which is basically what you're probably going to end up paying um then it's a sensible option I've got to check my policy now yeah so so um if you're um if you're a consultant or a professional um it might be that you're that you've got professional yeah. indemnity insurance and that will cover it. Ah, oh, okay. So I have that. Worth checking. It's worth checking if if you were yeah health and safety consultants. Um, I have acted for a couple and um, it's worth yeah w- worth having a look at that. That's great because great information. I'm just loving this and I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> we have a range of people that listen, don't we, Daisy? You've got your your small employers small businesses health and safety professionals that are just interested in listening so actually it's very useful for people to know stuff like that because it's all well and good discussing the law but actually we do need to know what's available because things do go wrong you know you can't even if you're doing what you think is your best things still happen so it's good to know yeah and actually that point on small businesses so say you didn't have any of this and you thought yes i must get around to it i didn't and something happened um you didn't know where to go so there are there are a number of specialist health and safety lawyers we're quite a small pool but there are a number of us um 
different size law firms, different costs, all that kind of thing. Um, but criminal lawyers are closely associated to what we do as well because it, they're in the criminal courts. So even if they don't do a lot of health and safety work, you know, that those are the sort of high street practices. You go to them rather than your construction lawyers or your property lawyers or whatever. Well, I found myself a lawyer. I've got to ask now, what made you get into health and safety law then? So I started my um, career, I don't know whether you know very much about health and, uh, about lawyer tra- legal training, it takes ages, um, or it used to. Um, and so I had I had an offer to sort of start my formal training with a, with a law firm um, that I'd applied to, and I had a couple of years to wait, so I went to work for the Crown Prosecution Service. So I actually worked in criminal law um, for a couple of years as a, what they called a caseworker, so a sort of non-qualified lawyer. Um, and I found it really, really interesting and thought I might have made a big mistake um, having a sort of offer to train with a commercial law firm. And I just spoke to a barrister I was working with at the CPS and he said, you could um, you could go do this thing called health and safety law. It's, it's, it's working, tends to work for companies, but, um, but in the criminal courts. So... That's what I did. And how long ago was that, Mary? Oh, now it's 20, 20 years. Wow. Yeah, a long time now. So I was having a look when, when obviously we knew you were coming on, and I was having a look at some successful prosecutions. I, can, I guess you could call them successful prosecutions um, under Section 37. And I found one particular example. And this is hopefully not somebody you've represented. Um, this is a case in Southend-on-Sea where there was a community centre um, and there was some construction work. I think it was actually demolition work that was going on. And a 20-year-old um, worker, she ended up being crushed by a vehicle. And thankfully, she didn't, she didn't die, but she ended up with quite severe uh, life-changing facial um, and skull injuries and he he was he was um, found guilty and he ended up this this guy um, with a community order which was over um, 12-month order 250 hours in total so how did they decide who goes to prison who gets community orders? Who gets a fine? Who gets disqualified as a director? How does that work out? It's within the same kind of guidance that actually applies to what they do for companies as well. So there's a set of, uh, there's a document called the um, Health and Safety Sentencing Guidelines. Of course, something else. But anyway, if you Google that, you'll find it. Um, and that basically is a document that judges have in court. Um, and that when we deal with a case that's going to court, we look at and it's divided by different types of um, offences. And there's a section in there for uh, for individuals. And it it talks about there's some co- quite complicated um, things that it goes through, but it will talk about in simple terms things that make this um, offence look more serious, aggravating factors, things that maybe explain it and reduce the seriousness, mitigating factors. And you go through, there's a bit of a um, formula in a way that you can go through um, to work out um, how serious does this 
does this look as an offence? And then there's essentially a table that judges look like that, that they plug all those answers into that then says, OK, you probably want to you're looking at this range of offences. So it might start at suspended prison sentence, i.e. nothing's going to happen, but just good behaviour for the next two years, please. Can um, I ask on that? Sorry, yeah, just yeah. quickly. Yeah. If, if someone gets a suspended sentence, yeah. it's not any bad stuff like if you break any other do anything naughty you go to prison or is it you only have to do the same thing it's a really good question I I, I um I can't remember if it's just the same thing there might be a, a number of things linked to it but I haven't had to deal with that actually but I think you're right I don't think it's you know yes you you go and illegally <laughs> now you're off to prison we don't pay a tv you've got to be connected in some um, way. I, I think you're right um, but I, <laughs> But basically, yeah, there's a table that that tells judges, and it's not um, doesn't bind them, but it mm-hmm. gives you it gives them an idea. And importantly, as a lawyer, it gives you an idea where your client's probably going to sit and what evidence you need to sort of say, well, actually, here's the factors which make this less serious. Um, you know, this is a this is a one-off, isolated event. There were limited people exposed to this risk. Um, otherwise, we've got really good behaviour, um, responsible person, you know, that that kind of thing. So they'll look at all that and we'll gather evidence about that and present it to the court. And that's how they kind of get to their decisions. And that's the same for all criminal offences, actually. There's, there's basically guidance that the judges have to make those decisions. Does attitude play a part? Yeah. So if you've got a director who... You know, I mean, I meet them, I'm sure Daisy meets them, where they really don't want to be doing anything. Is there a difference if an incident happens and the company have a really positive view on health and safety and the same thing happens in a company where they think health and safety is a ball of rubbish, do they still both get the same? Yeah, no, I, no, I, think, I think that is right. It's probably more than just thinking it, but if you've got some evidence about that to show that, you know, actually this person was doing all these really positive things and this was a a one-off and um you know the re- it's, it's really about your good your good record um mm. whereas this other person cut corners regularly and um really it, it looks like um they are more yeah more responsible than another party that all gets looked at i presume when you're in meetings with them you'll be saying this is the likely outcome and sort of advising them of that yeah exactly exactly and we'll always say you know we can't guarantee it but that's that, this is what we're looking at but of course this is this is after you've done all that's reasonably practicable so if if something well, happens no am i well yeah the the reasonably practicable bit is the company bit so that is so you you as an individual it's that consent connivance or neglect so it, it might it. be interlinked so you're right so say you run a garage and it's you and one silent business partner then the two may well be connected um but in your guard example um it might be separate so it may be that the um the company had in place um you know a i don't know a policy about having guards on their machines um and in this scenario um we actually discover that despite the policy regularly people were taking guards off then you'd look at you know did they do everything reasonably practicable the bit on the individual is around their role in that whole scenario 
So so they blatantly ignored the fact they should be doing the checks. They didn't keep or, or they saw their team regularly taking the guard off and didn't say anything. Or they were so neglectful in their role that they basically just didn't care what happened. They hardly ever came into the office anyway. Got you. Um, some neglect. Mm. Yeah. Any of those things. So hopefully most people hear that and they're like, okay, that reassures me a bit because I'm not that person. But when I, I think the point is, is when you're doing, when you're carrying out your role, just think about it. So say you get your health and safety person um, saying to you, um, I need this really, really expensive change to our production line for safety reasons. You don't have to go tick. Um, it's absolutely fine to say, okay, talk me through it. I need to understand that. Have we thought about this? How do I know that's the safest? You know, because you because it's all about practicability then. You're thinking about like re- realistically, what what should I be doing? Is there guidance that says we should do that? How, you know, how how is that safer than anything else? You're okay to do that. And you're okay sometimes to say no, but you need to go through that process. And you need to know you're a bit at risk if you've got a safety person telling you, you have to do this. And you don't do it, you get into this territory. So you just need to be a sensible person, ask sensible questions. You might think it might not happen, but you still know in the back of your head that there is a potential. So you are ignoring advice, aren't you? That's going to go against you. Yeah, it can be that way. Exactly. A, A really common example is you're getting three quotes to do some construction works. One of the quotes is so much cheaper. And when you ask a few questions or even maybe you don't even need to ask questions it's very clear that's because they're not applying any safety measures that's risky that's really risky oh interesting like that but but of course sometimes it might just be cheaper because they're trying to get your business and they're going to be really good it's just they've said they're going to do it cheaply but money that that whole differential just needs to raise a little bit of a flag i think um and just think through okay how does this sit from a health and safety perspective does this does this feel right use your gut your gut to tell you that but so going on from what you just said if I run a business and I choose a contractor that comes into my business and that contractor isn't up to scratch and something goes wrong the directors are also potentially liable for the contractor's activities are they under this section Potentially, because the, the company could have failed, and it could have been because of what you did or didn't do. Um, I, I think you just you can't just close your ears, and the company should be ensuring that when it takes on contractors, that they are competent, as you say, that you're doing some level of diligence on them. Um, or it might be that you just know that you know they're renowned in the industry as being really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't kind of get you off just because you've got a contractor you can't just say mm. we've got a contractor and therefore even though there's this really unsafe building activity going on at our site nothing to do with us you do have a role but you're right you might be one step removed because you did some diligence and also you know you might have some ongoing responsibilities if you're then something gets flagged to you about unsafe activities the contractor you may need to ask some questions but um of course, you're not going to have the same control as if it's your people. I was just thinking, just slightly away from this, but we've talked about managers and directors and senior leaders and things. Mm-hmm. From your personal experience, have you ever you know, been aware of an individual worker 
that has been prosecuted under section seven for example yes yeah i have so you're right if it's an individual worker it comes under seven not 37 and that is different um and in those scenarios usually it's someone who has done something very clearly dangerous and put someone else at risk um that's usually the scenario that i've i've seen in, in you know section 37's play uh, sorry section 7 offences play out for individuals mm-hmm. it's not very co- it's not super common i want mary more often i think we need her again because i'm <laughs> i'm already thinking corporate manslaughter and gross negligence manslaughter and it's just i mean i know not everyone will be obsessed with it, but i'm obsessed i'm obsessed with it i love it oh, mary i want you to do your own podcast so i can listen <laughs> it's just just so much to it isn't there yeah, it's interesting. This, I mean, this is why I went into this area of law. It's very interesting. Um, that's quite human, really. Yeah, a, a, but a mixture of both. Isn't that interesting? Because you always think the law is actually really quite confusing and it would take a certain skill to be able to understand it, read it, uh, apply it. But actually what you're doing is is really important for people. You know? and it's, it's, it, it, it's so necessary and can you could change someone's life whichever way a case goes right yeah and I think that those of us who are in this area what we like doing probably is sometimes we're helping people at a really difficult time when they're under under investigation but also doing quite a lot of work to say um you know how do you avoid getting there working with people like you guys I guess to sort of say how do you make things better because that's the end objective is don't get your don't get yourself in this scenario but 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 these things you know things do happen mm-hmm. obviously people get injured or put at risk of injury in a workplace um, and so this level of investigation and scrutiny is probably always going to be here in, in the UK at least. Does your firm just a random one does your firm um, look at um, anything to do with civil law? Yeah, we do both. So I, I sit in a team um, with a personal injury lawyer as well. So you're right that sometimes there'll be the two sides of it. Um, uh, lots of firms will have really big teams who will do that and who will be usually instructed by insurance companies because that's how a lot of that gets paid unless you um, you know, have very, very large excesses or self-insure, which is the big companies. Um, a lot of the time, the civil lawyers will be acting for your employer's liability insurance and things so so you'll be potentially seeing both sides of the coin then yeah exactly Mm. exactly and the two things are very linked up have Mm. to be very linked up so that you make decisions sensibly um and you there might be two sets of lawyers which again is not ideal but no but, but but it's important just to be yeah to be linked up in those scenarios Lovely. Thank you, Mary. Thank. I mean, I've got so many more, but we will wrap it up for today. <laughs> another another time. Thanks so much for asking me along. No, thank you for coming and talking to us so plainly about something which can be really challenging. So thank you for that. I've absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I know there's some really good stuff you've told us on the podcast that people will listen to and go, oh my gosh, I need to sort that or or look into that a little bit more so could be very very beneficial Mm. for people out there thank you great daisy i love you love you too lynn's and we'll we'll see everybody next time take care keep safe Bye. Bye. bye